Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where geekery doesn't end just because the year is ending. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. It's the end! Almost. We're almost there. We're not quite there. <laughs> so... This is our, this is probably annual at this point. I guess I haven't actually looked back to verify that, but we almost always have something right near the end before we do our end of the year episodes where we got to catch up on the geekery because we've been doing this Mm -hmm. sprint towards the end of the year where it's like, okay, are there any movies I need to watch, books I'm trying to finish up, video games that I haven't played that I need to play because we want to talk about it at the end of the year and see if they make the cut for our, you know, best games of the year or best of the rest episodes. So those are next. Those are the next two episodes. So this is our chance to catch up on everything we've sampled, everything we've tried, basically our sprint right up to the end of the year. And this is the time where I usually feel like I don't hit enough stuff like you do. Like like just the sheer amount of media that you can consume puts what I can consume just just to shame. Like and it's because just it's completely different personality types in that regard but just watching the list of yours just grow and mine is like oh yeah i did a couple of things okay. <laughs> well it's like when i put my mind to it right there are definitely weeks where i have like one thing for geekery or two things but there are also weeks where like I made a list, I'm working through it, and I end up sampling a bunch of stuff. Like, I'll try an episode or two of a show, and then I'll play a few hours of this game and half an hour of that game and a little bit of this game, and I get a feel for all of them and kind of mentally right. classify them like, okay, I'm done with this one, I'm done with that one, this one didn't click, this one I'll come back to later. And that's kind of what happens in this sprint up near the end of the year. I have games where I'm like, I'm done with them. I'm mentally done with them. It doesn't mean that I finished them, that I played them all the way to the end. So right. I just churn through stuff really fast. I I miss your times of churning through Gamefly games. Like, we need to, uh, at some point, when you have enough games that you don't get to, to do Gamefly updates again, because your uh, your weeks of playing, like, 30 seconds of a game and sending it back are, uh, are they're just nostalgic to me. Yeah, it's funny when I can talk about a game for 15 minutes after playing it for, like, a minute. So, yep. yeah, I can do that sometimes. So, let's get into it. What do you have? I know your list is shorter, so let's start with yours. Make sure we get through all of it. Okay, so Aftermath Life Debt and Empire's End, they were the original, like not original, I guess, but the the first trilogy of books that really led up to The Force Awakens. And I've been listening to these on audiobook. I finally I finished Aftermath Life Debt and I liked it so much more than the first Aftermath book uh, by Chuck Wendig. Um, I can't remember how you felt about these books. How? Because uh, uh, you've read every Star Wars book. I, I'm not all the way caught up right now, but I've read almost every novel that's out there in the new Star Wars canon. Um, I think I'm missing like two of them, but I'm working on it. I'm trying to get through them all before Rise of Skywalker, because as of recording this, that is not out yet. Um, but the Aftermath series, I was mixed on. It was okay. I thought overall it was decent, and I'm glad that I read it. But it's not one that I would like give a glowing recommendation or tell anybody to start with. And I decided to go back because there were a few plot points that I knew were in it that I wanted to see how they translated into, well, not even translated, how they transitioned into The Rise of Skywalker and even into The Force Awakens. And I'm actually seeing some of that come out, and I'm hoping that we see uh, some of the theories that I have uh 
come to fruition. I can't say anything until after Rise of Skywalker uh, is out because of some of it. I'll I'll tell you uh, later. But uh, the thing that about the first one that got me about the very first book in the series was that some of the characters were just unlovable. That I really didn't like Timon, the main character, who uh, is Snap Wexley in the fir- in the Force Awakens and Last Jedi, and uh, like I I really latched onto though uh, Sloane Ray Sloan. Uh, she was in a, a few of these books, and I found that during Life Debt that I really do care about her, and I don't know if she's a protagonist or antagonist. That as these books go on, I have honestly no idea if she is a a a foil to the Republic characters or if the Republic characters are foils to her. And I think that's really really well done. And uh, I know you and I have talked a lot about the 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 gray area in Star Wars and she as I've been listening to these books really hits a gray area for me because I fully understand why she is imperial and believes in the empire and it is logical and it makes sense and I would probably be with the Empire if I'd had the same experiences as she has and so it's really made me uh, see more of a human side of the Star Wars universe uh, than before um, so I really really like it and Mr. Bones the uh, the the B1 battle droid that has been uh, retrofitted into a, a like killer assassin droid is still the one of the best Star Wars characters ever I he love is, him he's so a really much. good character. Well, and Sloane is like the most interesting character in those books, too. Like you said. Oh, by far. Like she's interesting. I'm really curious about in they introduce a character called Gallius Rax in Life Debt. And so I'm really curious on how he comes in to Empire's End and how like the survival rate and things go into other books now, um, because I'm pretty sure that the um I'm pretty sure that in The Force Awakens, the Super Star Destroyer, well, on Jakku, the Super Star Destroyer that Rey is going through is uh, one of the, is the Ravager, isn't it? The uh, Sloanes. Uh, maybe. I don't know if they ever specifically say that, because there's a plenty of ships that go down in the Battle of Jakku, but yeah, right. maybe. I think it's it's somewhere in there. So there are people who die and there are things that happen in that battle. And I want to know who makes it through it so I can read more of the books. Like I'm really into these right now and it's making my running as I'm upping my mileage uh, really, really enjoyable. So I'm glad I really, really am glad I have those. Well, I actually have something that ties into that. So I'm going to jump in, even though I wanted to do your list first. So I've been reading Star Wars books and it okay. combo of like audiobook and just like scanning on my Kindle because they sync together. Right. Um, right. But I read Master and Apprentice. It's the first Claudia Gray written Star Wars novel that it's just okay. It's not great. Really? Whereas her other ones were really, really good. They're some of my favorite Star Wars ever written. No. This one is it's Obi-Wan and it's Qui-Gon Jinn. And then it also has flashbacks to Qui-Gon and Dooku. And it's just one that doesn't seem to really add much to the overall universe. It's not super interesting. And yeah i mean you know they're not extended universe characters they're main characters so you know they're going to be fine the stakes aren't very high and it doesn't add a whole lot to their characters so i was hoping for more but the other thing that i read was resistance reborn and this one just came out not very long ago it's one that is in the you know how they say like um journey to rise of skywalker Mm -hmm. so it's one of the main ones in that so it leads up to and ties into rise of skywalker and 
this one more than any other expanded universe thing that they've done with the new like expanded universe this ties back into all of these different like eu threads and one of them is the book series that you're reading some of those characters carry through um okay but it ties into comics it ties into other novels it ties into all sorts of like eu stuff that i've read or experienced before and they pull in a lot of those characters into this novel so the book basically starts right after The Last Jedi ends, maybe like a month or two after, but not. there's not a huge time gap. It's pretty soon after. Okay. And it it really is about, like, what are their next steps? How do they start to rebuild the Resistance? And, like, where do they find support? Where are their allies? What's going on with them? Um, and it's obvious that when this book ends, there must be, there's got to be, like, a multi-year gap leading up to Rise of Skywalker. Because right. you can tell from the trailers, Rey has had time to train and the resistance has been rebuilt. The resistance is definitely not rebuilt in this book. It's really more about like restarting it and like what does that look like? And it's kind of a character development book for Poe, like him coming into his mm. own. But it was good. It was a good book, especially coming off Master and Apprentice, which was kind of disappointing for me. Um, I really liked Resistance Reborn, and I liked how it tied into the modern movies. That makes me really sad, though, to hear that Master and Apprentice is not great, because as much of a Star Wars mood as I've been in to really get myself hyped up for Rise of Skywalker, I was really looking forward to that one, especially after Jedi Fallen Order and its story being so good that I could I was really excited because Claudia Gray was writing a Jedi story like that. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to get stuff with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and like this is going to be great. So and it's not like apparently, which is sad because you 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 have sung Claudia Gray's praises so much that uh, that disappoints me because I know how much you like her. So it's objective at this point, not even subjective. Like you have a list of her stuff like this is excellent. This doesn't rank with those where I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. And like I said, it wasn't bad. It was just okay. And compared to her other work in the Star Wars universe, that's a letdown because her other stuff is so good. I think it's Bloodlines, which is a Leia book. And then. um, Yeah. And Lost Stars. Lost Stars is the one, like, one of my favorite Star Wars books ever. I love recommending that one to people. Okay, yeah. I've, I need to listen to it. I, I've not heard it. Like, I've got it, and I never finished it. Yeah. But, okay, so what other Star Wars stuff have you been doing? Because I know you've been, like, in a Star Wars mood. It has grabbed you. Right. It has. It's just grabbed me. I'm working through Rebels. So I've been, I'm not finished with season four, but I'm about halfway through season four. And um, I am really uh, loving it. And it's giving me the feels. I have things that have happened in season four that I did not know were happening. I thought I knew most of the stuff that happened in season four just, you know, because it's been out for a while. And there were things that happened that I didn't know. And I have feels about them. And I love what they're doing with some of the Jedi stuff and Force stuff. I just finished a lot of the middle episodes that deal with Lothal and the Jedi Temple. And uh, what I've learned since... Before then, it's called the Force Dyad and dealing with things like that. And uh, so I'm I'm really interested to see how these kinds of things that they brought up in Rebels are going to transition again into the movies because I've read different things where some of these ideas may be brought in uh, to Rise of Skywalker in some way, um, even if it's just, you know, adjacent to them so uh rebels is really awesome and i love thrawn 
oh my goodness, I I love the way that they treat that character, but I do not like the way they've done Rook. What did you think of Rook as you finished this up? I honestly don't remember what character that is. It's been a he while. Is that, he is that weird little monster assassin that uh, Thrawn sends around with people. He he has like an electro staff oh, and yeah, he, he hops know. around all the time. That was kind of a whatever character. And he shouldn't be. In the Heir to the Empire books, in the Th- original Thrawn trilogy, the Nogri Rook was incredibly terrifying. Like, everyone was scared of him, and they made him into this kind of... I don't. He's not comic relief in Rebels, but he is not intimidating and frightening like he was in the original trilogy. And that makes me so sad, because I was so excited to have him like in canon... And uh, this is one where I think they didn't handle it correctly. Like Thrawn, I think is excellent in the new canon, and uh, Rook, his uh, his like bodyguard assassin guy, uh, the Nogri, is absolutely not, and it makes me super sad. Like, oh, just so sad. So I've also been like looking at Star Wars toys. Like every time I go to the store, like just very briefly, uh, I look in every store that I hit for uh, new Star Wars toys because the, uh, I've mentioned this in the past too, but the new Black Series toys that are out are excellent. That they've done really, really good stuff. And I feel bad because there was a Cara Dune Black Series figure that I found at Target the other day and I didn't buy it. It was before Mandalorian Chapter 4 had come out. And now I'm really sad that I didn't buy it because I really liked her character so much in season four, in Chapter 4. Uh, so I'm going to have to find that Black Series one again. But uh, they've done really good on this series of this like wave of toys. Uh, so it's it's good, and I've been collecting those. I just love that and you're then, in a Star Wars mood. I see that you also have Galaxy of Heroes on here. I do. I've been playing Galaxy of Heroes a lot. It's that mobile 5v5 arena game that we've talked about, and I I love it. Like, I don't... I love those kinds of games, and it's it's that collecting thing that gets me. I want to have a team of all these different characters that I love fighting together, and I just really love that. I play Marvel uh, Strike Force as well, and it's something about this Star Wars mood that I'm in where it just makes me want to consume everything Star Wars that I can. And I haven't really been excited about Star Wars for quite a while, um, and it it hit me and so now i'm i'm kind of going all in on it um but galaxy of heroes is neat i actually found a guild on there that talks in the game and does raids and stuff which is a uh, very 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 weird to find in a mobile game like that yeah it's interesting yeah, but it's it's been a lot of fun. Like I I'm working on my Phoenix Squadron characters, uh leveling them up and uh and getting them starred up. And like it's just it's just been fun. I've unlocked ship battles, which are really cool to uh, have different uh you have to have the pilot and the ship on there to uh to actually compete, like I guess compete uh use them in battle and so I've liked I've just really liked doing that. I ended up doing the uh a challenge the other day like over the last couple of weeks on and i got uh, grandmaster yoda and emperor palpatine uh at and there you have to do these events for them so i was like these guys are really powerful and i like playing as them so just it just makes me happy to have that so i'll do something on those uh when i have a few minutes on the uh phone like i've i've mentioned in the past okay so but yeah, I've just been playing those a lot. I've been reading uh, and outside of the Star Wars books. I have uh, 
been reading the fifth Lightbringer book. Um, have you started reading it yet? No, that's next up. As soon as I finish reading my Star Wars books that I'm in the middle of, that's the next one on my list. That's my lying in bed at night reading book, uh, whereas the uh, Star Wars books, because of the audiobook production, are my running books. And so The Burning White is really good. I'm about 40% through it, which means I'm about 400 pages into it. Um, it's about, I think the Kindle one says it's 964 pages, and it's uh, it's incredibly good. They're tying so many things together, and even halfway through this, I'm not 100% sure how they're going to uh, end all of it, um, both in the they can do this a quick way or a long way, and I'm not sure how everything's going to tie together. So I'm really, really impressed by Brent Weeks with this one at this point, and... Um, I also saw that has nothing to do with this particular book, um, but I'm glad that this series is coming to an end, even though I'm sad about it. Uh, Another series that you and I had started, the Brandon Sanderson uh, Starlight books, I think is what it was called. The Skyward. Yep. Uh, The second one came out because, again, I pre-ordered it and I have the Kindle edition of it now when I got an email the other day. So uh, if you want to read it, it is out now as well. And if you didn't pre-order it and get the notification... (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm glad that books are coming out again that you and I are both psyched for. Because I feel like this year was kind of light for reading for both of us. Yeah, there just wasn't anything that I cared a lot about. And the only other book that I could think of that I really cared about this year was Fall by Neil Stevenson. And it was excellent up until about the uh, the two-thirds, three-quarters mark. And then it got a little too Neil Stevenson for me. And I just kind of bounced off of it. Um there's a really good chance that I will finish it at some point because I do love his writing. But uh, anybody who's ever read Neil Stevenson knows like when he gets a little too Neil Stevenson, it's just time to take a step back and then return uh, when your brain is fresh because, and reading that right before bed was like a, it was, it was a no, that's a uh, reading it when you're awake kind of book. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then I guess the last thing that that I had done that I really thought about was last night, uh, we watched Britney Runs a Marathon. It's an Amazon original, and I don't think you've watched this one, have you? No. Uh, Steph recommended it on uh, Twitter. Not on Twitter. Oh, my goodness. Steph recommended it on Slack the other day in the Geek Fitness channel. And it's amazing. She said it was amazing, and it really is amazing. Uh, I don't know if it comes from uh, me being a former fat guy who runs uh, or being a runner or what it is or if it's just a genuinely good movie because Jennifer liked it as well. And even though she runs, she is not uh, nearly as into it as I am. Like, there was a lot of character development in this. Like, uh, I can't remember the the main actress's name, but she did such an excellent job. Um, but this entire movie really gets the the feeling down of what it's like to be someone who is, like, obese. A doctor once told me I was morbidly obese um, in that, that category of BMI. From being told that to a doctor, uh, having body image issues and health issues and starting to run, like what it's like starting to run as someone who is completely out of shape and has no idea how to exercise, that kind of thing. It hit on a lot of those points and it made me feel them again. Like it resonated in the best way and the worst way that that a, that a movie can, you know, where it's like, oh, oh, yeah, I feel that I feel that for, for that character. But in this one, it's like I feel that with that character. Um, 
it was really, really interesting. And then uh, it was it was impressive also that they showed her really hitting the highs and lows of being a runner who's training. Um, they made it out at times to be a little different than it actually is. Um, it was funny that they were talking about uh, training for this marathon. She was doing it and like she was eating salads and like not going out, like feeling embarrassed about eating a burger. And I mean, The Oatmeal is one of my favorite web comics and my one of my favorite books is just the uh, terrible and wonderful reasons why I run long distances. And uh, as he says in it, um, my body is a fast-moving garbage disposal. And that's pretty much what it's like to be a distance runner. So when she was like running like 20 miles and being like, oh, I'm going to have a salad or no, I'm not going to have a big dinner. It's like, y'all, uh-uh. Like you, you eat. I don't care if you're trying to lose weight. You just want food in your mouth. Stuff like that. Um where I was just like, oh, that's cute. And then she started a marathon and it was already light outside. The New York City Marathon with it light outside. And I was like, oh, oh, that's not true. That's <laughs> that's not how it works. That's for you know, filmmaking purposes. I, think. I do. Just stuff like that. It's like, I've never been to a race where the sun was up before. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was one of those. It was like, I understand why they did it. They filmed it at the New York Marathon in 2017. So they had to do it when it was light. I mean, that's how you do these things because it's a movie. But I was looking, I was like, she's getting up and it's already light outside? What? She's missed the start time. And she was so far up in the corral. Like the elite people were up front. And then she was like maybe a dozen lines of people back. And I'm like, there is no way that she would be that far back and uh, or that far up. And then uh, in the corral and leading like that. And then I think it had her finishing in a 348, uh, three hours and 48 minutes is what I think the uh, screen said. And I was like, I don't feel like that's what would happen here but uh you know other than well i mean those are just funny things that's not even nitpicking it that's just like ah, ha, ha, i got you kind of things it's like i see what you did there it was an excellent movie i'm gonna watch it again i love the characters like like i said it may be because i'm a former fat guy with body image issues but man i understand her eating that cheese out of the garbage can <laughs> okay i don't have the context for it but i'm glad that you liked that part did you like that part I, I do it was it was when she was feeling bad about herself and she used food to make herself feel better and she had thrown something away but saw that there were still scraps of something in it so she reached in and got that out and i'm like yeah yeah i've been there so I, you i understand you recommend this movie I recommend it highly, and I thank Steph for uh, for recommending it to uh, to me in the uh, in the Geek Fitness channel on Slack. Cool, nice. Okay, uh, before we dive into mine, I've been playing some games and a couple other things, but mostly games as we're kind of sprinting towards our Games of the Year episode. Um, let's take a quick break and talk about all the other things going on. You can support the podcast as always, Patreon.com/slash/Geek2Geekcast. It helps us out a ton. It's like it it basically funds the podcast hosting so anything you can do any tier you can join we appreciate everyone who subscribes via patreon um besides that around the network we have podcasts there's geek to two there's tea time with katie and chelsea there's dragon quest fm which bj is on it's about dragon quest if you couldn't tell from the name sometimes rob the podcast that happens sometimes and there's also a new podcast coming out that i don't know if it's out or not when this episode is coming out uh but a new one on the network that i'm on with katie so there's your tease Ooh. i'll talk about it more 
maybe this episode. Let me think about it a little bit. Um, besides that, there's streamers, there's Troidal, there's Capsule J, they're streaming video games and mostly video games, but they're streamers on the network. And then the Geekery blog, uh, Austin's Dragon Quest Quest, 13-story data era. They're all out there writing cool things about geekery in various forms. You guys can go to geekteekmedia.com, or if you want all of it to come to you, you can go to geekteekmedia.com media.com slash subscribe and just get it sent to you okay so i've been doing other geekery i've been playing games i've been playing a bunch of games um before i get to those i have to call out the imagineering story because it's amazing so it's on disney plus and i don't think you've watched this yet have you i've watched the first episode of it i loved it i uh, didn't get to any of the others but oh my goodness the first episode of it is excellent it's really really good so an episode is coming out every friday just like the mandalorian so i've been watching the mandalorian like friday night and then i watched the imagineering story on saturday morning and nice it is excellent it's a really cool documentary series it starts out about Disneyland, but it becomes about the Imagineers and everything they do. So they get into Disney World and then all of the park expansions, like how do you do a sequel to Disneyland? Like, uh, you know, they go and do Disneyland Tokyo and then they do their own unique park for Tokyo called Disney Sea. And, you know, when they open Disneyland in France, Disneyland Europe, whatever it's called, um, but it's in France. So and like how they design Disney cruises and the cruise ships and like what went into that and it gives you all this behind the scenes of like, what does it take to be an Imagineer? And if you guys have never heard the term before, an Imagineer is somewhere between like an art director and an engineer. And it's something that Disney came up with because when they were trying to hire engineers to do stuff, they just, they were too practical. They would just make buildings, right? They would make structures that they know how to do. They really needed people with a creative bent to come up with these wild ideas. And then after the wild ideas were kind of like semi-approved, then come back around and figure out how to do them. So that's what the Imagineering department does. And the Imagineering story is just a documentary series all about them over time, basically. And I've loved was, every single episode. It was super neat to to uh, to hear them talk about finding the the first real Imagineers that uh, when they went to the artists instead of the architects that uh, to do a lot of the uh, the design. And I was like, yeah, that that makes a whole lot of sense. Those places were designed by artists, weren't they? <laughs> it, uh, it it's absolutely uh, interesting how it ties everything together. And uh, I realized that watching it, that I know that Howard Stark and all of his presentations in the Marvel universe is based on Walt Disney and how he used to do all of this stuff, like talking, doing the presentations on TV and all of these recordings that we have of him. But man, every time I saw Walt Disney in that first first episode doing one of these things with like model scale models of the park and things like that it's all i could think of was like man you are ripping off howard stark (laughs) like they did that i was like nope that's not how it works no other way around yeah i mean they do all sorts of model stuff scale model things they do animatronics they do full-on ride creation like start to finish like how do they design the matterhorn or space mountain or you know the teacups like all that kind of stuff it's a really good series i love it it's fantastic so If you've ever been to one of those parks or if you've ever been interested in creativity or engineering or both, or if you work in a creative discipline, like I would recommend it to any one of those people if you fall into any of those categories. So that's the thing I've been watching. Um, Besides that, I've been playing games. So I tried Control because I've heard so many good things about it this year. And it was like one of the holes in my gaming that I needed to get to before our Games of the Year podcast. And 
it has a really cool premise. You are this character who walks in and it almost has like an X-Files vibe. Like she knows that there are things going on in the world that most people don't know about and she's tracking something down. And you can tell that you like find out about it through playing the story. Um, I played a few hours. And so you walk in and you come into this building and it's called The Oldest House. And it's like something that warps and twists and changes on you when you're not looking or sometimes when you are looking. Um, But it's kind of like a giant... almost like 50s 60s technology office building um and right at the beginning of the game you become the director of the bureau that runs this whole building and you get this special weapon that can like change itself because it's like alive it's really it's really like x-file vibey type of thing and okay cool the premise is good but what i didn't realize was i thought it was more of a sci-fi bent and they took it more in like the horror direction and i just don't respond to that type of framing like it's not a horror game it's not trying to scare you but because it's not delving into how interesting it is it's delving into more of like ooh, freaky weird type of thing i just i kind of didn't make it super far um i'm done with it i probably played three four hours you know the physics are really sweet in it and there are some powers that i started to get as i was a few hours in that were really cool because of like what they do with the physics in the game and the the engine makes the game look really pretty I think it's one of the first games that truly showed off like ray tracing, which I don't think my video card does, but I know a lot of other people who played it talked about that. Mm. So if you are looking for games that show that off, maybe this is one for you. But yeah, like I said, in the end, the tone was just too horror for me and not enough sci-fi. If that doesn't bother you, though, it it's a really solid game underneath that. So it's what like it's using horror conventions and genre conventions uh to tell the story like what kind of story is it actually uh, telling like is it like i'm 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 not even sure how to ask this question so even you are the director of this organization that you just discovered and you're in the building that the organization is based out of that you just discovered like when you walk in at the beginning of the game but there's also some like foreign entity maybe it's like a different universe maybe it's aliens maybe it's something and they're like getting a a grip and you're trying to push them out so it's that kind of story like trying to figure out what's going on like is it based on earth is it some paranormal thing is it aliens is it a different dimension like you know that's kind of the ooh, what's going on you got to figure out what's going on that type of thing right okay i i i got you yeah so that was one i'm glad i tried it so i know right that's what i'm doing a lot of this time of year is just trying things so that when other people are talking about game of the year i know what they're talking about and then also just making sure that i'm not missing anything big from the year so with that in mind i also picked up death stranding and i played death stranding and okay i don't know i don't know i don't know how to uh it's death stranding it's kojima right Right. It's there's proper nouns everywhere and it doesn't really stop to explain them to you. There is the gameplay to just exposition ratio is so out of whack compared to a normal oh, I'm game. Sure. But it's it's kind of the par for the course with a Kojima game, right? I think the first two and a half hours of like the game, I probably played a total of like twenty minutes of gameplay. Most of the rest oh, was wow. like cutscenes or a character conversation or I'm listening to them talk about something or you know, that kind of thing. And that's pretty normal for Kojima. Um, it's just not normal for most other games. So I pushed through because I really wanted to see what was here. I wanted to see what Kojima looked like without an editor and without like huge budget constraints. So I played mm-hmm. almost 10 hours of this game and it still felt like I was in the tutorial, 
so I looked up, like, where does this game open up? And it opens up once you get to chapter three. So I played two chapter three, and then I played another, I don't know, half an hour, maybe, maybe hour after I hit chapter three. And I saw the gameplay systems, and I saw how much was left ahead of me. And I felt like I had seen enough, and I would just be doing more of the same, but, like, increasing as time went on, and I just didn't want to. Like, the gameplay wasn't compelling enough to get me to invest another 30 hours to see the end of the game, right? Even though I was 10 hours into it already. So the gameplay at its core is that you are a mail delivery service. Like, you are trying to take (laughs) things from point A to point B. And there's interesting things in there. Like, there's exploration. There's trying to figure out the best path between places. There's inventory management in a very interesting way because you actually have to like physically load up cases onto your character so it depends like your balance matters like parts of the game are like you making sure that you're balanced or that you don't have too much on your back or you can attach it to like hard points on your body and that's a core piece of the game but also you can just hit a button to auto configure it to the optimal setting so you can play around with it if you want to but you don't have to it but it's norman Reedus, and he's a mail delivery service and you're trying to get from point a to point b over and over um as you use the same like paths over and over they start to become paths and then later on you get more technology so you can like build structures for yourself you can build bridges you can put down ladders you can put down ropes you can eventually build roads and you can get um vehicles and stuff like that and i don't know i liked the I like the infrastructure building. There was kind of a nice loop there, but it was too slow. And then even though I liked it, the gameplay to just like cutscenes of just sit there and watch something for half an hour without interacting, it just, it didn't work for me in the end. You know, and all of these like little fiddly inventory management systems with all these slots all over, it was interesting at first. And then it quickly got annoying because I was like, oh God, I have to deal with this for 40 hours of gameplay, right? I. I feel like I got what I wanted. Like, I understand the game. I'm far enough in that I I will understand everything people talk about. I could look up spoilers now and not worry about it. But I have a really hard time recommending this game to anyone. Like, anyone. I, I don't know who I'd recommend this to. Um, Postal workers? <laughs> Do you want to PS4 deliver fanboys after uh, delivering the mail all day? I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't know who it's, it's for. I mean, I guess, yeah, Metal Gear Solid. Like, if you really, really love Kojima and you want to see his next crazy thing, sure, go check it out. But it's not like Metal Gear, you know? It's except yeah. for the the exposition heavy, it wants to be a movie instead of a game. Like, that's consistent with Metal Gear. But outside of that, it's its own thing. And it's just the gameplay is not quite balanced or compelling enough to be recommendable. Yeah, I mean, I can understand how people got into this game after hearing about it and knowing what it is for a while now. And I didn't know about the inventory management, uh, which sounds absolutely terrible to me. Um, I'm glad that there's the button where it can do it for you. Uh, When you said that, I was like, okay, maybe this is something that I will eventually try because uh, having uh, an inventory puzzle minigame sounds like the worst way to spend a Saturday night. But um, the rest of it's like, I don't know. There's something about the way that this game has been marketed the way that people have reacted to it and then the gameplay that I've seen of it that makes it so unappealing to me that I don't I I I will eventually try this game when it's free on PS plus and uh, that's kind of how I feel about it. It's like I'll grab it whenever it's free on PS Plus or under $10. That just to see what it's like to wander around as Norman Reedus and pee uh, while holding a baby. 
Like that's <laughs> well, well, like and part of it is like I the part I liked the most was like getting from point A to point B with the inventory and like building these paths and building the infrastructure. I liked that. It's just that like every time I would get somewhere, then you have to watch like a 10 minute cutscene or a 30 or an hour long cutscene if it's like a main story beat, which happened all the time. And so there wasn't enough of the gameplay. But then when I would get into a good groove with the gameplay and I'm like, okay, I plotted out my route. I want to go from here to there and I want to build a bridge over this river. And um, one of the cool things I didn't even mention is that every time you build a structure, it will share it with other people online. And then you get likes from those other players if you put it somewhere that they're actually interacting with it. So it's like dynamically populating other people's worlds and you are dynamically getting stuff and structures that other people have made too. So it's sweet. It's like making these connections, right? The whole game is about making connections. So that is cool. Like like that part is really, really neat to uh, see other people's stuff coming into your world. And so I liked the the infrastructure like i got to the point where i was like oh yeah i would love to build roads between point a and point b and like you know put some like power recharging stations down and post boxes and ladders and like make the stuff to get between areas but then there's this whole other layer where there are these mysterious entities that you have to like deal with or sneak around or fight and then they'll knock you off of whatever you're on and like knock your inventory all over and damage it and then they pull you away from them and then you get pulled into a combat that's not fun the combat is just not fun in this game and I almost wish that I could like turn all of that off and like just build the infrastructure because that was the part that was interesting to me but it wasn't worth it to fight through the pieces that I didn't like to get to the little parts of this game that I did like so basically it is a fetch quest uh, building game like it's a builder yes. game at its heart that uh that you use as uh, under the pretenses of fetch quests yeah it's like it's a fetch quest it's a builder game it's very cinematic cutscene game it's trying to tell a kojima story all of those things are true mm, fair enough yeah i'm good so, that was Death Stranding, but like I said, I'm glad I played it because I wanted to see what the deal was. Like, that was worth the money for me just to see what was going on, but also I don't think I'd recommend it. Um, I played uh, a little bit of Pokemon Sword and Shield. Well, I say a little bit. I probably played about 10 hours of that. I don't feel okay. like I'm super far in it because I'm only, like, I think I'm right at the third gym somewhere in there. Um, All right. There are a lot of quality of life improvements, just like every Pokemon game, you know, I really wish that they had gone farther with new things and new approaches because this is their first console entry, right? Like, I wanted more dynamic and cinematic cameras. I wanted everything should be fully voice acted. There's no reason it shouldn't be, right? They should speed things up finally. Like, battles are still so slow. Like, make the Pokemon battles faster because we all know how it works, right? And then just change things up more. Like, this is your chance to really shake it up. And they don't do a whole lot outside of one thing that I'll talk about here in a minute. Besides that, it's still the same core Pokemon game. My kids are loving it. My daughter absolutely loves this game. She's destroying it. Like, she's right near the end of the game already, and she she just plowed through it. Um, and my son's playing it, too. He's playing it every couple days and just kind of picking away at it. I think he's around the same place I'm at. It's a decent podcast game that I could play with, like, half of my attention if I really wanted to listen to, like, an audiobook or a podcast instead. Right. Um, so that can be said about it. The gym stadiums. So like gyms now have really interesting challenges instead of just beat a bunch of people on your way to the, the gym leader. They actually have challenges. Like one was a puzzle. One was like herding sheep. That was really fun was figuring out how to like <laughs> herd sheep towards the end. So they changed it up. And then when you get to the boss battle, like the leader of the gym, you actually have this giant stadium battle, which is really sweet. It's modeled after like a soccer stadium and you can see the crowd and people are cheering you on. And it's like a huge sporting event. 
Yep. So that part was really cool. Yeah, the seeing those in the trailers seemed really, really cool. Like the uh, they seem a lot more interesting than the traditional gym system. Yeah. And so the one thing that I think they did right is the wild area. So the wild area is this big, open, explorable area. It's not right. huge, but as soon as you get to it, it's like, why isn't this the core concept of the entire game? Why do we still have designated routes that you have to go down to get from gym to gym? Why isn't the whole mm. game one giant open world and you can just freely explore it and then you can find your way to gyms that way? Like, as soon as I hit the wild area, I didn't understand why they didn't completely redo the gameplay around wild areas and make the whole game that. That being said, they also need to fix their net code <laughs> because it's so bad. <laughs> like, there are other players in the wild area and they just kind of pop in and out randomly and it feels like you can never really connect to somebody to do the raid battles even though the raid battles are cool if you can get into one um yeah but just having this area where you can run around and explore and see the pokemon and you see ones that are like the fully evolved form of something that you might have but if you go try to fight it it's way too high level for you it's kind of okay. that idea from mmos of having those like zone bosses that'll just mm -hmm. wreck you right and it works it works so well for a pokemon game i don't know why they didn't double down and do the whole game around areas like that i don't like i saw some of the new stuff in there like one of the coolest things i've seen just in terms of like the raid bosses uh like that was the uh, snorlax did you see i don't even think it i don't even know if it's in the game yet uh but they had released i saw an image of the uh raid gigantamax or whatever it's called snorlax did you see it yeah so you can run into gigantamax and dynamax pokemon and those are all the raid battles are like gigantamax people or dynamax um it's cool like you do a four player against this giant pokemon and you can make your pokemon gigantic too i mean it's not that's the thing it's not a bad pokemon game i just wish they had taken it farther and in the end i think it comes down to the fact that i just need to be in the right mood for pokemon and i'm not quite in a pokemon mood mm. at the moment so if you love pokemon if you like the other games if you're in a pokemon mood don't hesitate go pick up the game sword and shield is great um if for like that mood also if you're ever on the fence about it because i know every time a pokemon game comes out people are like is this a good place to start yes like every pokemon game is a good place to start this one is great <laughs> like you can dive into it no problem you don't need any background on it or anything so it's a good Pokemon game. It's just not what I'm in the mood for and not quite what I was expecting. I wanted them to take a little farther. And one thing I want to let everybody know about is that if you do get this, if you get it for Christmas, like a lot of us are going to, uh, we have a Pokemon channel on Discord where I know a lot of people are setting up trades. They're sharing friend codes. And that's basically how I'm learning about the game is watching uh, the Pokemon chat on Discord go through. So if you need friends, you need trades, that kind of thing, uh, grab this uh, and then you need to come to the uh, Discord and uh, hook up with the rest of the community because uh, I'm loving watching everybody uh, trade Pokemon and talk about it. Yeah, the Discord and Slack are awesome. I love talking to people there. Um, last thing that I did, which is actually a bunch of things, but I'll try to be quick and high level about it, is uh, for Black Friday, I got an Xbox One X. And okay, you did. I did. So the reason I did this is the same reason that I got a PS3 when I did years ago. It's because it's the last year of this generation. Next year, the the PS5 is coming out and the Xbox 2, whatever they end up calling it, is coming out. And right before we switch over, I look for a good deal on the other console. I pick it up and then I play the exclusives that I missed. And then it really helps inform which system I'm going to buy for the next generation. Okay. So 
I grabbed an Xbox One X and I grabbed Game Pass. And it's really my trial run for the Xbox Two and the PS5. Like, which one am I going to buy? I might end up buying both because, like, our Q&A episode was kind of mm-hmm. the inspiration for this. Do you remember the question? People are like, is there something you want to do as a kid that you haven't done as an adult that you wish you could? And I yeah. said, oh, yeah, I could buy every console now because I have the financial means as long as I plan and save. It, it got my brain going, and I was like, why don't I own an Xbox right now? It's <laughs> so, true. I mean, it, that makes a lot of sense. So I did. I went out and I got one, and um, Game Pass is really cool. Game Pass is, that might be what sells me on getting the next Xbox when it comes out next year because all the Microsoft exclusive games are on it on day one. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really played those yet. I'm almost purposefully dragging my feet so that they're not eligible for our Games of the Year podcast. I kind (laughs) of want to push the Game Pass games into next year. Um, But I tried a couple games on Game Pass just to give it a shot. And there's a lot of indie games that, like, either I've played on other platforms or I played it and they were were just okay because they're, you know, they're indie games. They're hit and miss. There were a couple good ones. Um, Like, I tried Super Lucky's Tale. It was a really decent, like, 3D key platformer game kind of mario-esque mm-hmm. and then i've tried ukulele which is just straight up banjo kazooie remade with different characters but it's banjo kazooie like if you played banjo kazooie this is the next banjo kazooie and yep. the coolest part is just you get game pass and then here's like 150 games download whatever you want it's yep that's the amazing part right Game Pass is awesome. I have it on PC, and I haven't taken advantage of it nearly as much as I should because I've got the Outer Worlds on it that I need to play more of. Uh, I've downloaded Bloodstained, uh, what is it, uh, Ritual of the Night, and then I think it was CrossCode that I downloaded as well. Just these uh, these indie games on there that I've been wanting to play. And it's a fantastic, just an absolutely fantastic service. And Thanksgiving night, we went to our friend Adam's house, and uh, he has an Xbox One and was just sitting there playing Torchlight on X, on Game Pass uh, that he had found and really, really liked it. So uh, and it was an old 360 game on there. Yeah, and they have 360 backwards compatibility, which is great. Um, it One of the things I would say is if you're interested in Game Pass, they still have the deal going where you can convert Xbox Live Gold into Game Pass for super cheap. So what I did ah. was I bought the maximum amount that you can convert, which is three years, I went and I waited for really good deals on Xbox Live Gold. And so I bought three years for about 100 bucks, And then I converted all of that into three years worth of Game Pass Ultimate for literally $1. So wow. I got probably like, I think it's like $600 worth of Game Pass Ultimate for like three years um, at full price. I got that for about 100 bucks. So there okay. are ways to do that. Keep that in mind if you're interested in picking it up. Yeah, I mean, and I'm probably going to go for the Xbox 2 or whatever they call it when it comes out, mainly because of Game Pass. Uh, the Depending on PS5 exclusives, I mean, that is going to be a, a decider because I may get both of them. Uh, this generation, there just wasn't any Microsoft exclusive stuff that I cared about, uh, really. Honestly, I honestly don't can't remember one that I really cared about. Yeah, well, but... they're all on Game Pass, so I'll tell you. The ones that you missed that you didn't really miss, uh, there's a couple Gears of War games and there's Halo 5, and that's kind of it. So okay, then those are the ones that like I really was thinking of. It's just Gears uh, was the main one that I was thinking of, and it's that's not enough for me to have that console when with there being things like Spider Man. Um, 
that said, I mean, I love the idea of Game Pass so much that it's worth buying the next generation console to play three generations of uh, games that on a down on a downloadable streaming basis like that. Yeah, and my intention with this one is that I will either give it to a friend who needs an Xbox once I get like the next one, or I'll give it to my kids, or I'll sell it and I'll make most of my money back. Like, if I do get the next Xbox, which after playing around with Game Pass for about a week, I think I'm going to because the Game Pass is what's going to sell me into it. I I don't know if I'll hold on to this specific console after I make that switch. If I do, I'll give it to somebody in my family who who will make use of it and enjoy it. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean, Game Pass is the main selling feature. Also, the Xbox One OS UI is still garbage. Like it is. I don't know is why it? Xbox can't figure out just a really easy UI to get you into your games menu. It's way too convoluted and dumb. Um, hopefully they fix that with the next one. But Austin has told me that as well about uh, the Xbox One, that one of the reasons he hates it is because of the uh, way it's laid out. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, but the games are cool, and Game Pass is amazing. So I'm going to keep playing around with that, and probably over the holiday break I will push through Gears of War 5. I'll give Halo 5 a shot. I'll try all those Microsoft exclusives, so I'll have those to talk about once we get back. Awesome. Yeah. And then the last thing that I need to mention as part of my geekery is a new project I've been working on in secret with Katie from the Tea Time Podcast. So we are launching another podcast, and I don't know if we've officially announced it by the time this episode comes out, so I'm not going to say the name of it, but if you look on my Twitter, if you look on Geek2Geek, if you look on anywhere, it will be out there. I think it will have launched by the time this episode goes live, Um, but the podcast is we are going to watch every Disney movie ever, and it's going to take... A long time and we might never get to the end of it but it's a fun project so we're trying to watch like one movie a week and then get together and do a short a short form podcast on it like about a half an hour runtime 20 minutes half hour just kind of like recap the movie and our initial reactions to it and does it hold up does it not hold up especially some of these really old ones um so the first couple episodes we did like moana because we wanted to do a modern one that we know we like and then we also did an old live action one that we thought we wouldn't like just to see how that would go. And so we did Robin Hood and his Merry Men from 1952, which is a live action Disney movie. And it was bad, but in the like most glorious way that a movie can be bad. So we kind of tear it apart, but we also love it for what it is. And that's it. We're trying to be positive about them and find the good in every movie, even if it's a bad movie, and just cover all of these Disney movies over time. I did not know that that live action one existed. Now you do. Yeah, and that's part of what we want to do. We want to get other people watching these really old, really bad movies, or maybe some of them are good. We'll find out over time. But it's a fun (laughs) project. So that will be launching. uh, I'm sure that soon I can say the official name because it will be out. But in the meantime, look on Twitter, look at my places, Katie's places, or geek to geek Media, and it will be there. Well, I'm looking forward to listening to it. I'm looking forward to hearing about some of these movies that I've never heard of or that I didn't like, um, like the original Robin Hood animated movie. So I don't necessarily like it. So it's going to be interesting to uh, hear you guys talk about it. And I hope that one of the upcoming ones is the old lady in the tramp and the new lady in the tramp, because we watched the new lady in the tramp. I'm not sure if I told you about this, but part of my geekery has been on the first week of uh, Disney Plus. Did I tell you about it? The new lady in the tramp movie? Yeah, you told me you watched it. It's delightful. Um I love this movie. I thought I was going to hate it. I don't like the animated Lady in the Tramp. I never really have. But uh, the uh, the live action one, absolutely delightful. So I need to hear you guys do a, uh, a couple of Lady in the Tramps. 
Yeah, and a lot of Disney movies have been remade or redone or, you know, given another shot in another slightly tweaked format. So we definitely are going to try to do those close together so we can talk mm-hmm. about the differences. That's part of the thinking here. But it will evolve as it goes on, just like every podcast does. But look all the places. You can find it. I'm sure we will blast it out all of the places. Um, Absolutely. It's probably it for us for this week. And then next week we'll be back with starting our end of the year lists um, and kick us off into the new year. So you guys can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have longer discussion threads on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. We also have great discussions on Slack and Discord. You can go to geek2geekmedia.com for invite links. And while you're there, you can check out all the other content on the network, like this new podcast. <laughs> I blog at agreenmushroom.com. And you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beach. That's Beach with two E's. And you can listen to me even more on the Dragon Quest FM podcast. We've been Void and Beach with your Geek Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Happy holidays, everybody. Hey Geeks, this is Capsule J. I'm a streamer on the Geek2Geek Media Network. If you like discovering new games and chatting with cool nerdy folks, be sure to check out my channel on Twitch. You can find it at twitch.tv slash CapsuleJ. That's C-A-P-S-U-L-E-J-A-Y. I stream a blend of indies, retro games, and RPGs most Tuesday nights from 8pm to 11pm Eastern, and occasionally on Thursdays and weekends. Hope to see you then! Hi! My name is Joe Hogan, and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this, there's a good chance you're a geek, too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week, keep it geek. Hello friends, this is Troidal Power inviting you to join me over on Twitch most weeknights sometime after dinner. Video games have always been a social hobby for me, with friends and family crammed together on a couch chatting away while someone holds the controller. And thanks to the power of the internet, I've got my own virtual couch over on Twitch where you can kick back and goof off while I play games. Find me on Twitch by searching Troidal Power, that's T-R-O-Y-T-L-E Power, to snag a spot on the couch. Hello, I'm Katie. And I'm Chelsea. And together we are Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea, a podcast all about pop culture. We talk about books, movies, music, basically anything we want at this point. Yes, we obsess about K-pop. And Keanu Reeves. And sometimes Katie cries on the podcast. Hey, that's rude. But really, we are just here to talk about all the things that we love. So make sure to head over to teatimewithkc.com and geek2geekmedia.com to check us out. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our show wherever you download your podcasts. Bye! Bye.